This is a community where we aim to create a comfortable space that allows for active discussion without judgment. Find us at thecuriousmother.com and follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at thecuriousmother. Welcome back to The Curious Mother. I'm Kristen Daly. And I'm Melissa Miller. So Kristen, we got a pretty good show today. Yes, I am actually really excited. So one of my favorite people out there is joining us today. Her name is Rosie Molinari, and she is an author and educator. She wrote um, several books, but one of my favorites is her book, Beautiful You, A Woman's Guide to Radical Self-Acceptance. And we are really excited to have Rosie today and hopefully be able to talk a little bit about body acceptance in women. Welcome, Rosie. Thanks so much for having me. So... Talk to us a little bit, Rosie, about like why is body acceptance and why is radical body acceptance so important for women? So I come at self-acceptance from a fundamental belief that every single one of us is here on purpose, that we all have something that we're meant to give this world and our lives are meant to be the realizing of that. And over time, it could be, oh, this is what I'm meant to give the world. And, you know, a little bit later, it's this. And so it's not that it has to be the same thing. I just feel that always we matter. And so what I've come to see in my own life, in my life as an educator, um, and in my life as just a friend and someone who loves other people, is that too often it's our relationship with ourselves that gets in the way of people really being able to live their purpose. And so I think the reason self-acceptance matters sort of globally, because it's really easy for us to compartmentalize and say, well, who cares if she feels bad about herself? Like, that's not my problem. But it is all of our problems if people can't offer what they have to the world. And, yeah. you know, that just means that our world is diminished in some way. And so for me, it's really important to help people find a way to have a healthy relationship with themselves so that they can go out and live whatever their purpose is at the moment. How many people do you think struggle with body acceptance? Gosh. That's a fascinating question. How do you even quantify that? I know. Well, I mean, mean, the way I think about it, actually, you know, a little, a few years ago, Melissa and I did a book study of a book about body acceptance. We had a person in our group. So it was, I think it was all women Mm -hmm. and one guy, and there were probably eight of us. And so we're reading this book and it was all about radical body acceptance. Um, I think it was called Living in Your Body and Other Things You Hate. So it was a type of therapy book for people. And the guy in the group was saying he was a little uncomfortable reading the book because what he was finding was these exercises were making him think about things that he had never thought about before. And he realized that he just doesn't think about his body. And all of the women in the room, well, and everybody else in the room was just kind of looking at him dumbfounded. Because <laughs> we were like, what on earth is that like? Not to th- And he was saying that he was feeling like, do I have a problem that I don't think about? Like, he, like where he right. was going mentally was like, is there something weird about me that I've never thought about how I look or how big or small I am? Like, you know, why is this something I've never thought about. And I would say everybody else was like, yeah, we, we think you're... Yeah, for the women, it was like universal. Like, we've all struggled. Yeah. There's not one person who's like, no, I've always felt great. I've never not accepted myself. No. You know, what I think is interesting about that is 
there's a certain amount of privilege that he's probably experienced by being male. Yeah. Um, that I don't know exists anymore. Yeah. Good um, point. But that probably at least existed in, in the time where he was developmentally influenced. Yeah. Um, that he wasn't who was being targeted to say, hey, you should feel bad about yourself. Um, you should be engaged in a body project. Yeah. And, and so what he was seeing was like, and what everybody in that room was seeing was, what does life look like if you're not constantly bombarded with messages yeah. about how you should be better? Yeah. And I don't know that young men would feel that way today. You know, I know that um, when I have a body image class that has a fair number of male students, that they certainly feel like they are targeted now. And I think men and young men are sort of the new frontier because at some point you sort of saturate the women's market. (laughs) You have to find other ways to make money if you're a big corporation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that um, that example really speaks to that for a long time, women were very targeted in terms of how they should feel about themselves Mm -hmm. and what effort they should put into confining or changing themselves in order to be acceptable. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about that is that if if we buy into those messages, um, then we lose our time, right? Because mm-hmm. we're in the mirror sort of figuring things out. We lose our financial resources mm-hmm. and we feel defeated. And mm-hmm. all those things diminish our power, yeah. which I don't think by accident that that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... And so becoming sort of savvy about who benefits from me feeling this way is really important. I, I really love how you described body acceptance at the beginning. I think that's really revolutionary for a lot of people who are probably listening because we hear so much about body acceptance, right? Like positive body image. Mm-hmm. And I think there is kind of this idea that's been fed to us that if we work really hard to like our bodies, then we'll like ourselves. And so I see these women trapped in the cycle of, if I just lose five pounds, if I just, mm-hmm. I have to like how I look to have positive body image. Mm-hmm. And I really think that keeps them stuck mm-hmm. in a really negative place. And then they never even get to hear that message of, wow, when you spend all this time focused on your body, you're not living life and giving your gifts to the world. Yeah, yeah. I really think of self-acceptance as... A position of neutrality about myself. Um, and it's born in the fundamental truth that every single one of us is worthy simply because we were born, that worth is our birthright. And what's interesting is I think we're pretty good in general about recognizing other people's worth. Yes. And not so good about recognizing our yes. worth. And so self-acceptance really says you're just as worthy. I'm not more worthy and I'm not less worthy, but I am just as worthy simply because I was born. And so for me, um, with my, with how I see self-acceptance, it's really about recognizing that if I wake up and have a crazy hair day, what I can offer the world is no different than I, if I wake up and like my curls are on point, you know, like mm-hmm. it is all the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having sort of that, that neutral sense about, Myself that is rooted in in still compassion, just like I would be kind to anyone else, um, I think allows me just to like 
to be honest, but to not be defeated. And so I might wake up and be like, yeah, I don't know what's up with my skin. Mm-hmm. And how I go out in the world doesn't change that. Yeah. Like, or, you know, if I were to have overslept this morning and, and not had time to shower or, or get ready before coming here, it wouldn't change the conversation that we would have. I wouldn't be so defeated about how I felt about myself. And I think that's really sort of the important place to get with one's self-acceptance is to recognize, you know, in every moment I'm worthy and have something to offer and my physicality doesn't change that offering. Mm-hmm. That's huge. I, I, I just, I hope people let that sink in because I think there's such a push for loving yourself, mm-hmm. right? Which is great. But I think people interpret that as I need to be perfect to right. love myself. And I love that idea of neutral. Yeah. You know, and I think, so, so what's interesting is when we talk about perfect, you know, people will say, well, I know there's no such thing as perfect, but the subtext is I'm going to get as close to it as yes. possible. Right. Yeah. I can get I, within um, a millimeter. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it, for me, it was really freeing to realize, well, if there's no such thing as perfect, then there actually can be no such thing as imperfect. Mm. Like there can't, there's no continuum. Um, you know, dark can only exist because there's lightness and tall can only exist because there's something that's short, mm-hmm. perfect doesn't exist. We know that. Well, mm-hmm. also, so there's no imperfect. And I think that we fail to realize that and we think, well, I don't want to be imperfect. It drives me nuts when someone says, I'm going to embrace my imperfections. Like, no, you're just going to embrace like what makes you unique. You. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so there is no, imp- there's no perfect. There's no imperfect. We are all just meant to be unique beings. Yeah. Um, and, and, the idea that there was one way to be was just something that I, I think our media sort of held onto for a long time and put out there because if they could put out an image that we all tried to aspire to, um, well, it was going to be impossible to reach and we were going to be on that, you know, treadmill for a long time trying to get there, like the metaphorical treadmill. Yeah. Um, of like buying all the products and putting on the clothes and, you know, maybe running on the treadmill as well. <laughs> um, and so I think freeing ourselves from the notion that there is an imperfect mm-hmm. can be really powerful too, because then it's like, oh, I am just my own unique iteration and I need to find some peace with that. Mm-hmm. I'm also thinking about how many, when you talk about like that bad hair day or waking up and my skin's not just right. I know so many women who cancel plans, yeah. right? They don't go to lunch with friends. They don't go out and do what they need to do. They don't go volunteer at their kid's school. Maybe they um, don't stand up at the board meeting to talk because they don't want to be seen. Yeah. And when you talk about then they're not using their power and they're depriving the world, like that that piece really clicks mm-hmm. for me of mm-hmm. like, wow, when we withhold because we don't feel good about ourselves, we really withdraw from our community and then we feel more lonely right yeah it was funny last night um I had I we were I'm obsessed with art I love it I love to look at it I unfortunately also like to buy it (laughs) oh no that's fortunate cannot stand um but so there was a gallery opening last night and it was right on my way home from work and I was like oh well I'm just gonna pop in and hopefully not buy art but look at art and um it was funny because when I walked in, I realized I wasn't dressed down because I had just come from the office, but wow, there were a lot of people who were very dressed up. And I had that moment of like, how willing are you to enter into this atmosphere? And it's funny because I 
absolutely was willing, but at the same time, I had that that brief moment of, do I get to go in here? Mm-hmm. And even as a grown woman, like we hit that, you know, there is always this sense of how am I going to fit in and how am I going to be perceived? And, you know, and I think that that's a big deal for us. And I think it's so important for us to share those moments to just normalize them, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not that you have it all figured out. Or that I have it all figured out. Like, none of us have it all figured out. But I think just admitting, like, this was a hard moment. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I I pushed past it because I really wanted to see this art. Um, And did not not buy art. In case case husband's listening, didn't do it. (laughs) Actually, she bought a ton. No! She's going to enjoy the Christmas. Um, That has been known to happen. So, you know, I just think that's a really powerful moment. I think also it's helpful to realize we can begin again mm-hmm. all of the time. Mm-hmm. And so you can pull up and you can have that moment of, wow, people are really well-dressed going in there. I think I don't want to go in there and then sort of rally and go in. Mm-hmm. And you can just say, you know, I didn't love that I doubted myself, mm-hmm. but I'm just beginning again. And I think that we, you know, we, we can sometimes have this all or nothing thinking that's like, oh, well, see, self-acceptance isn't for me. I really need to worry about this stuff. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we get to begin again all of the time. Well, one of the things that I love about your book, so it's now in its second edition, um, the Beautiful You. So what it is, is it's 365 prompted journal entries, right? And I got the first edition, I think, after I had my... For my second or third child. So um, when, when did the first edition come out? 2010. Okay, so it had to have been after my third child. And I um, am not great about doing 365 entries in a year, so it took me two whole years to work my <laughs> way through the book. But I did work my way through the book. And I found these exercises just are really powerful in shifting your thinking. And so one of my favorites I had to mark, and it's only in day 30, so um, uh-huh. you don't have to get through two whole years. But um, it's called Name the Beautiful. And she says, We often use a different standard of beauty for ourselves than we do for others. Today we will examine what we really find beautiful. Today, in your Beautiful You journal, name the people you know that you find beautiful. What is it that makes them so beautiful to you? Do you use the same standard when judging yourself? And I, that activity, I'm, I get goosebumps when I even talk about it because the people who appeared on my list were not the people who were going to appear in, in the pages of fashion magazines. They were people who had deep hearts and, you know, val- values that I admired and goals that I thought were amazing. And I recognize that when none of that shows up in a mirror, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we tend to discount those facets in ourselves mm-hmm. like crazy. You know, I can remember having a conversation with a friend not too long ago talking about how some mistakes I made in my adolescence and um, early adulthood. And she leaned back and she said, I think you've turned out okay. <laughs> and I realized, like, yeah, I mean, I do feel like it turned out okay. But it was funny, like, just putting together that idea that her perception of me versus the way that I can, I know all of my inner flaws, right? Mm -hmm. And most people don't see that. And so I think that it's important for us to recognize, like, how am I benchmarking myself? Like, can I see the things that I find so beautiful in others? Mm -hmm. Can I see them in me? Mm -hmm. And really recognizing sort of that incongruency in our standards. Yeah. Yeah. So Rosie, 
I, I think most people who are listening probably like this is hitting home. Like I don't, I can't imagine any of our listeners are like, oh no, I've never struggled with this. <laughs> because our listeners are women. Right, right. So, so what advice, where to, where to begin? What, what do you offer? Um, how can we offer women some hope? Mm-hmm. So I think a great place to begin is to consider um, how you speak to yourself. And to really think about, you know, what's the tone of voice? What are the words that I use with myself? And are they the type of language that I would use with anyone else? And they're often not. And so I think that one of the the first things we have to do is to really turn down that racket in our head. um, Because that's just not a healthy thing to be listening to. Um, What's interesting is that I think so often... Folks feel like, well, I need to talk to myself that way. Like, I, I need to discipline myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you all know this better than I am, better than I do. But, you know, I find that that type of voice is never motivating. Like, it is so defeating. And um, if it worked, you know, the, one of the things I think about when, when I have someone say this to me, I'm like, well, if it worked, like, all everything would have been solved by now. Like, every <laughs> project... That like, you know, because you would have been like, well, I'm going to take care of this tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that's the moment where folks sort of have this light bulb of, oh, maybe that voice really is having a different effect on me. And so I think a good place to start is to begin to recognize that voice and to begin to turn it down. And I, I, think, a, I think a good way to be conscious of it or when you become conscious of it, a good way to respond is to say, I've decided I'm not talking to myself that way anymore. Mm-hmm. And sort of putting that voice in its place. Yeah. And what that does, I think, is allows you to practice boundaries. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that probably we don't just have ourselves to practice boundaries with. There are probably some boundaries we need to practice outside of ourselves. But if we can begin to sort of have that voice of clarity that says, I'm not talking to myself that way anymore. We can begin to sort of get the gumption to say that to other people as well when they begin to come to us and say things that just aren't appropriate and we need to set a boundary. And so I think that's a really good place to start is to sort of talk back to that voice and reframe those conversations. Um, and then I think you, be, you it's important to become aware of well, are there other boundaries that I need to be setting? You know, are there other ways that I need to teach people how to treat me? Um, And I think that's really hard work, but it's super important. And so, you know, what I like to think about are, um, and I think the holidays can be a good time for this because you're going to run into folks probably who've said things over time. Yes. (laughs) And so I like to think about like, what are some things that I've heard that did not feel good that like, if I could say whatever I want, this is what I'd say. And it's typically, um, stronger (laughs) than, than I would be. Um, but I like to have that moment where I think about saying that and then I'm like, all right, but what can I actually stomach saying? Mm -hmm. And I'm not very confrontational. And so for me, what I can actually stomach saying is something like, that's not an appropriate conversation for us to have. Um, because it's not like over aggressive, but it tends to surprise the person enough that it shuts things down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think beginning to think about well, what other boundaries do I need to set um, that will keep me from having input that I don't need to have? Because I think so often, unfortunately, you know, the stuff that people have to say to us about our lives or about our bodies are never about us. They're, mm-hmm. you know, that's a mirror into their stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're a person walking around with that kind of pain, um, 
and you don't have healthy self-awareness about it, um, you typically lash out. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a gentle person in the world, then unfortunately you're sort of earmarked for the lashing out. And, and so you, you know, perhaps have had your share of these, these comments said to you. And so I think beginning to make that person understand, like, I'm, I'm not holding your stuff for you. Like that's your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I think it can be really valuable. Um, and so, you know, beginning to put that wall up allows you to realize like, oh, I can take care of myself and also quit some of that input so that you have less of those voices that you're hearing in your head. And so then I think that's another sort of good start in terms of beginning to be self-accepting. And then I think um, sort of a third piece on the self-acceptance journey is to think about um, at a moment where you're not feeling your best to think about what is the kind thing that I can do for myself right now. Um, And to offer yourself that. I will ask myself, one of my favorite questions um, is to ask myself, what do I need right now more than anything else? Just what do I need right now more Mm -hmm. than anything else? Um, And my rule when I ask that question is that I have to meet that need within 48 hours. Now, sometimes it's a need that I can meet immediately. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm sort of having a standoff with my child, I might be like, I need to leave this room and take some deep breaths (laughs) and go back. Um, Or if it's like, wow, my body really aches, I just need a massage, then my expectation is that within 48 hours I've made that appointment. I can't Mm -hmm. control whether or not that person's available in 48 hours, but I can control whether or not I respond to that need. And I think beginning to build a practice of listening for, observing, and responding to our needs is a really nice foundation for self-acceptance. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. You know, it's funny. I had... um when I was younger, my mom had this thing where she always looked pregnant and people were always pointing it out to her. And I can remember growing up, I was thinking like, well, I'm never going to be in that condition. And it turns out apparently we have very weak ab muscles. And when you've had a couple of babies, um, it is just a part of our human condition that um, if I, because I've had a few babies and if I eat something that bloats me a little bit, I'm going to look relatively pregnant. And so I realized like my options were tummy tuck or figure this out. And I actually, I wrote an essay about it called what, what to expect when you're not expecting, because when, when your body's out there, it, it can be, you can't control what comes at you. And, but I came up with this idea that I, for one, I think that people don't understand that it, that they're wounding. And so I think it's really important for us to express Ouch. You know, I can, I was very pregnant with one of my kids and I showed up at a party and one, and an old guy at the party said, who let the blimp in? And I was like, and I looked at him and of course like, like tears had immediately come to my eyes. And I just said to him, I said, that is a really horrible thing to say to someone. And it was interesting because the whole party kind of circled around him and, and almost like ushered him to the, like, you know, like clearly we have somebody who has no social skills. Let's put him back. Yeah. <laughs> Please put him back in the closet, you know? Um, but I, I did find that it was really important to be able to be like, ouch, you know, that's that's a really uncomfortable co- uh, comment. But then I also, between my husband and I, I came up with a reward system so that when that happened, I could have a payoff. You know, so basically, like, anytime it happened, 
um, I could buy myself flowers, you know, and so I would be able to kind of go into my head and have this. So it's like, you know, that, that mm-hmm. kind of like when this happens, you know, you're going to have this really nice thing that will happen to you because you can't control the fact that it showed up. And what that did is it just kind of dropped my anxiety about it because I sometimes would just be watching people like, oh gosh, you know, like, I think this is going to be one of those moments. And, you know, it's interesting because recently, I was at a party and it hadn't happened in a really long time. And then it happened. And I'm part of it is I think the more I move into my forties, like the less people think that you're expecting. But I had that where I hadn't, I hadn't practiced my, my skills in a while. So I think that that idea of checking in, like, what do I need? What would be the, the, the kindness I can extend to me right now is a pretty important exercise. You know, I think it's good for us to be able to have, what do we do when we're in those situations that wound us? Because, uh, you know, and there are messages everywhere that create that wounding. I really also want to encourage people that when you determine that need, like what do I need right now, that even if it feels like there's a hurdle or you can't meet it, that you probably can. Yeah. So especially when there's a, like, for me, the one that shows up is I often need to feel connected to people. And I might think like, oh, I'm not going to call her and bother her. Or <laughs> everybody's busy right now. Or, oh, it's been a long time. I shouldn't. And recognizing like, mm, no, you probably can. And mm-hmm. it's going to be okay. But I think we talk ourselves out of doing what we need the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. You know, and I find that like in a moment like that, you can just – um you know, text the person first and say, can you talk? Or call and say, I just I just need a moment. Like, do you have the time? Um, you know, but we're so worried about, like, you know, bugging someone else. And often it is so welcome. The person's like, yes, you know, thank you for letting me show up for you. Yeah. You know, I think so often um, we're not great about meeting our needs um, because we're worried about how they might impact someone else's needs. Um, and I think that I have loved when I have a concrete way to help someone else with their needs. You mm-hmm. know, that feels really, you know, good and how I want to show up in the world. It's important to, re- to remember that, that from the opposite side, a friend is so happy to be there for you. Yeah. They would much rather have you reach out. Yeah. It also goes to this whole... I think a lot of people think, well, I'll take care of myself when, or I'll start living when. Mm -hmm. I'll see my friends when I have the right clothes, when I feel like I look good enough. And I Mm -hmm. think that we need to encourage people, like, it's time to start living now. Like, don't wait. Sometimes that's exactly what you need is to do before you you get to the end goal. Right. Can you speak a little bit about the idea of radical self-acceptance? Because, you know, we've kind of danced around the idea of being accepting and even being neutral versus liking. And But I think that that word radical is really important for us to touch on. You know, it's so interesting because just being self-accepting is radical. Like, right? <laughs> it, is, it is a rebellion. You know, yeah. it really is like, well... You know, so what does that think mean? You think you're better than me? And it's like, no, I'm, I'm just okay with myself. Like it's, um, and so, so just the concept itself is radical. It's almost redundant to say radical <laughs> self acceptance. But I really think that um, for me, um, the idea with radical self acceptance is that you are you are able to develop a relationship with yourself that is consistent. So that you always have an allyship. Like it is, um, it is such, 
a relief now in my life to know that how I interpret things will never, like, that's never going to defeat me. So I walk into something and I feel really anxious. Mm -hmm. And I think that the voice in my head 20 years ago would have said, like, you have no business being in here. You're an imposter. Mm -hmm. You can't do this. And now I walk in and I see that anxiety and I think, oh, this really matters to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's the radical piece. The radical piece is when you can still experience all of what we experience as humans, um, but consistently show up for yourself in a way that doesn't undermine your abilities or your worthiness. Yeah, because it, it matters that it's not contingent on any circumstances, right? That right. it's always there, that yeah. we can always check in with it. Mm-hmm. And it's not when I get to a certain thing or, you know, I'm going to begrudgingly do this. It's like, I'm going to do it. I can feel anxious yeah. and it's okay for me to feel anxious. I don't need that to go away. And maybe I can also understand it means that this means a lot to me. And it also doesn't mean that... Um, you think everything you do is sort of, un, you know, like perfect. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting. My husband will ask me after, like if I do a speaking event or something, he'll say, well, what grade would you give yourself? And I'll be like, oh, that was kind of a C. And he's like, oh, are you upset? I'm like, no, I just need to practice a little bit more. I forgot this point. And he's like, I think it's so interesting that you can sort of objectively mm-hmm. critique what that experience was like. Mm-hmm. Um, and And, you know, I think that, being self-accepting doesn't mean that there's not an opportunity for growth. I think being self-accepting means that my growth is not necessary because I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Like growth, I think, is the whole point of life. Like if I'm like, all right, I'm all done here, <laughs> um, then, you know, I'm not certain about what will happen when I open the door, but there may be some, like, you know, angels calling in a dark tunnel. <laughs> um, and so, you know. So it's not that there's not an opportunity for growth, because I think that's the whole journey of life, is that there's constant growth available to us. But it's that, um, and I can come at that growth from, like, honestly, a sort of assessing where I am. Like, I might sort of sit down and say, you know, this is a place where I could use, you know, more information or more experience or, you know, I, you know, is not a strength and I want to build that. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just also within that honesty, not thinking, well, then I'm bad. Because, mm-hmm. yeah. like, no one's bad. We, mm-hmm. are, we are only worthy. Mm-hmm. It, and that's why I love that idea of neutral. Like, it, when people <laughs> start ticking off their, right. the things they wish they were better at or they feel like, but that wasn't good. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, well, so what? Mm-hmm. You can still have compassion and mm-hmm. it can be neutral. It doesn't make you a bad person. That's where I think people get really stuck. Yeah. It's like, well, I can't accept that. I wasn't good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, but it goes to that worth. It doesn't mm-hmm. make you a bad person. No. I love that. You know, and it just gives you, like, for me, everything now has become information. Yesterday morning, I was boiling eggs, and I friggin' burned these eggs. Like, I was in the bathroom getting ready, and I was like, what? It smells like it's on fire. <laughs> and I was like, oh, the eggs actual fire for 30 minutes. And I, I went in. I mean, they were, like, blackened. I mean, it looked like I'd grilled eggs. Um, And they were for my breakfast, but they were also for my dad's breakfast. And I just thought, 
well, what's, you know, what's going on with me? Like, that's information. What's going on? And I was like, my head's really full right now. And I couldn't hold on to the fact that there were eggs boiling while I was trying, I was doing, yeah. trying to do too many things at once. And that's just like a fact. Like, it doesn't mean that I'm a bad daughter. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad cook. Like, it just is, it is what it is. And so beginning to see everything as just information, I think, can be really powerful. So sometimes things aren't going to go the way that you want them to go. And that's just data input. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it might be like, oh, well, that's not my strength. And I also don't want to learn it. <laughs> you know, yes. I don't know how invested I am in being the best cook in the world. <laughs> sure would like other people to step in. Um, and, or you know, so there are things that where I'm like, mm, I'm not good at that. And I'm not invested in being better in that. But mm-hmm. that I'd like to be better at, you know, and, and um, having an honest conversation with yourself about that. I think yeah. really powerful. Yeah, I mean, because sometimes we may know that something needs to change, but until we've, like, really fully accepted it, we're not going to be able to change it. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're only looking at, like, 10% of what's going on, we're always going to just have these, like, little surface scrapes that never really get us where we want to be anyways, Mm -hmm. you know? I think we also need to remember that our own inner critic is the meanest one out there and that (laughs) other people, like, I feel sometimes, like... We, we have to remind ourselves, we're like, we're not in middle school anymore. Like, not mm-hmm. everybody is staring at us and evaluating no. everything we do. No one cares as much as we do. Right. You know? Like, <laughs> I will, you know, get a haircut. And, you know, on day three, the people in my house are like, doo-doo-doo. And I'm like, it is literally an inch shorter, people. And they're like, yeah. you know, like, nobody's studying you in the mirror the way you're studying you in the mirror. And, you know, I will think about this when I'm getting dressed like to go somewhere and I'm struggling with what to wear, that when I show up, like maybe someone might remember what I wore. They will always remember how I made them feel. Like, and that's the thing I have control over. And so, you know, perhaps, you know, perhaps, like perhaps it don't matter that I have these fabulous sparkly pants on to someone, but likely no. You know, like everyone is too worried about their own outfit. Um, to, to really worry about mine. Um, but they will say, I had a really meaningful conversation with her. Mm-hmm. Um, or she was really awkward. <laughs> Either one is too. just as accessible at any moment. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think that it's a powerful thing to remember that mostly people just want to be like seen and heard and understood. And so the best thing you have to offer is connection. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rosie, we are so grateful to be able to have you here today, and we are hoping to continue the conversation for episode two to talk about how we cultivate this with our kids. So come on back. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Curious Mother. Learn more at www.thecuriousmother.com, where you will find resources related to episode topics. Please join our community and add your voice. Follow us on Instagram at Thanks for listening.